With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC on a Monday after Liverpool won Brentford nil in the Premier League. Another win for the Reds, beginning to really make a push for top four. And considering how other results went this weekend, I do think there's a bit more hope within the fan base. Manchester United lost away to West Ham. Newcastle lost at home to Arsenal. Both surprise results. But we're now one point behind United and three behind Newcastle. We have a significantly better goal difference than United and a worse goal difference than Newcastle. We still need to win our last three games. That will push us to 71 points. United would need to win three of their last four to get to 72. Newcastle probably only need two wins from the remaining four games to get to 71. And with their goal difference advantage, that would probably still see them finish above us. But when you look at their fixtures and you look at certain flaws in their teams, Leeds away for Newcastle with Big Sam there and Leeds desperate for anything, a point even, to try and stay in the division. Maybe that's a tougher one than we initially thought. Brighton at home will be tough. Brighton are pushing for Europe themselves and are in pretty good form. Then they have Leicester at home. And that should be an easy enough win. But Leicester are scrapping to stay in the division. Desperate for points. And last day of the season is Chelsea, which I think prior to the weekend, we would have would have all just thought that's an easy Newcastle win. But it is away from home. There might well be a lot of pressure on Newcastle in that game. And the only real time we've seen them face pressure was the cup final against United in which they wilted. 
And a lot of those Chelsea players are playing for their futures because we know there's a big clear out coming there this summer. You've also got a manager who's managing for his future because based on what he did at Everton this season and what he's done at Chelsea so far, it's going to be very hard for Frank Lampard to get another job. So potentially, Chelsea are bang up for that game. And if Leeds could somehow beat them, and let's say Brighton go to Newcastle and get a draw, then a win over Leicester would need leave them needing a win against Chelsea as long as we win all our games. So I think Toon will probably get it. The Leeds game is massive for them. If they win that, I think it's over. But if they don't win against Leeds, will they start to get real nerves? We've seen in recent years a couple of spectacular top four collapses from Leicester under Brendan Rodgers. And this Newcastle team is similar in a lot of ways. It's a younger team. It's got a lot of players that have never been in this type of scenario before. Now, they've got experience at the back in Trippier and Byrne and Shar and Nick Pope. But Leicester had experienced players as well in the likes of Vardy and Schmeichel and Johnny Evans. So that doesn't necessarily negate the fact that they might just crumble under this pressure. And then there's United. And looking at it on the face of things, their run-in is fairly easy. Four games, three of them are at home. Wolves first. Wolves are now safe. So, realistically, they're potentially on the beach. But they might just want to pick up a few more points just for confidence levels to make the season look a bit better than it has been for them. Then they go to Bournemouth. And again, potentially Bournemouth are on the beach. They lost to Chelsea at the weekend. But they've been quite good of late. They've lost to Chelsea and West Ham at home. But their form over the last six weeks has been quite good. And United's away form is dreadful. So potentially, that's a bit of a banana skin as well. Then Chelsea at home. And then Fulham at home on the final day. And again, Fulham very much on the beach. But Fulham caused us problems. And Fulham will have Mitrovic back. And given Old Trafford is the scene of the incident that got Mitrovic his ban, maybe he wants a little bit of revenge? Maybe. And the thing for United is, their forwards have stopped scoring goals, and their goalkeeper started throwing goals in. United have struggled for goals in recent months, really. We beat them 7-0. They beat Real Betis 4-1. Betis are are okay, but not great. 0-0 against Southampton. A 1-0 away to Betis. They beat Fulham 3-1, but remember, they were 1-0 down until Fulham went down to nine men. 2-0 defeat away to Newcastle. 1-0 win over Brentford. 2-0 win over Everton, who are garbage. 2-2 at home with Sevilla, where they threw it away late in the game. They beat Forest. That's acceptable. Everybody kind of beats Forest. 
Then they get smacked 3-0 by Sevilla. 0-0 with Brighton. They win on penalties, but they didn't really look like scoring in that game. Couple of half chances, but nothing of, of real note. 2-2 with Spurs. A Spurs team that were a train wreck coming off that horrendous game against Newcastle. A 1-0 win over Villa. Lose 1-0 to Brighton. Lose 1-0 to West Ham. They're not scoring a lot of goals. They're not conceding a bunch, though, you know, Sevilla put five past them over two games. Spurs scored two on them. Newcastle got two, should have got five. We got seven. But they're definitely not playing as well as they were prior to us hammering them. You look at the run prior to us beating them. They beat West Ham 3-1, beat Newcastle 2-0 in the cup final, beat Barcelona 4-3 over two legs and Barca have just, you know, Barca are winning, winning La Liga this year. Um, they beat Leicester 3-0. They beat Leeds 2-0. Like they were scoring more freely and conceding less. And with Rashford's hot streak having come to an end, with Bruno looking like he's breaking down a little bit after such a heavy load of a season, with Casemiro looking his age, with that defence looking a little bit ramshackle, and the goalkeeper looking like a complete liability, it's not unrealistic to think that United lose one and draw one of their last four. It's not unrealistic. If Wolves could get a draw, how would United handle the pressure? How would they handle that pressure? And what if Bournemouth then beat them? Or get a draw? Because they need nine points. If we win all our games, United need nine points. So if they slip up and draw two, they can only get eight points. Because our goal difference will carry us above them. And wouldn't it be great if they did get eight points and ended up with 71 and we ended up with 71, but our goal difference over theirs is a huge factor. At the moment, we have a plus 17 advantage over them. And remember, 14 of those goals, seven in our goal scored column, seven in their goals conceded column, come from one game. Wouldn't it be hilarious if they won two of the games heavily and drew the other two and we won all of ours in close games and it just ended up that we had 14 goals better off than them or even 13 goals and they could look at it and go, well, if we hadn't lost 7-0 at Anfield, we'd be in the Champions League. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Just when I thought I was out, just when I thought I was out, they've pulled me back in. I think we can win our last three. Leicester away will be tough for the same reason it's tough for Newcastle. And we're away, Newcastle are home. But it, it will be tough. Villa at home, they look like they've run out of steam. They were really poor against Wolves. They were poor against United. I think they're run, they've run out of steam. And Southampton final day, they'll be gone. They're basically gone, assuming... Even if they win tonight, it's very hard to see them getting out of where they are. 
if they lose tonight to Forest, I, I think we can pretty much say that they're gone. They'll be six points behind Leeds, who would drop into 17th with three games to go. They'd need to win them all and hope that, you know, Everton, Leeds and Leicester don't pick up any points. And seeing Southampton win three games in a row, I think there's probably more chance of seeing a United fan actually be critical of Eric Ten Hag and admit that he's not actually working miracles when you spend well over 200 million and the result is a garden gnome, a fidget spinner and a past their prime holding midfielder. Other big Liverpool news this weekend is the report from the Telegraph that George Schmatke or Horg Schmatke could well be our next sporting director. We are in talks with this man about taking the role. He has been around. I think he's a very left-field candidate when you factor in a couple of things. Number one, his track record is not at top clubs. His first full sporting director role was at Aluminia Aiken. And to his credit, he built them up through the divisions and did well. Then he went on to Hanover. And again, he built them up through the divisions and did fairly well. He went to Hamburg for a brief stint. And then he went to Cologne. And at Cologne, again, he did the same thing. He found bargains around the margins and did well. His most recent job was at Wolfsburg. The best thing he did at Wolfsburg was appoint Oliver Glasner. And that was a great appointment. And Glasner took them from a mid-table team into the Champions League. However, he left immediately and went to Eintracht because he didn't get on with Schmatke. And that's been a team of this guy at every club he's been at, where he's fallen out with managers and he's fallen out with those above him. And with the exception of Wolfsburg, he's kind of left each club on bad terms. So that's a bit of a concern. When he left Wolfsburg in January, he said he was doing it to retire. Now, he did caveat that by saying, in three months, my wife might be sick of me and might kick me out of the house and tell me to go get a job. So that may be what's happened here, is that she's just said, listen, get out from under my feet and go and do something. He hasn't managed at a club anywhere close to our size. But I've seen some people say, oh, it'll be interesting to see what he does with a budget like ours as opposed to a budget like the clubs he's been at. During his time at Wolfsburg, they had a higher net spend than us. So we're not a big budget team. We can maybe afford to spend more money on an individual player, whereas at Wolfsburg they try and spread it out a bit more. He's definitely bought some good players over the years, there's no question. But he has bought more than his fair share of dross as well. But the one thing I think he does have, he has a really good eye for defensive players. Ridley Baku was a find of his. Maxence Lacroix was a find of his. Mickey Van de Veen was a find of his. They are three really good players. They are three players I would take at Liverpool this summer. 
And he got them there at decent value. He also brought in Javer Schlager from Red Bull Salzburg, who's a really good player and would have been a decent fit for us. He's noted for wanting to use an analytical approach, heavy on data, but he's also big on the eye test and he likes to scout players himself. Now, coming to us, that role will be a little bit different. He won't be doing as much of the scouting himself, but I think he is somebody that could potentially embrace the the process and maybe shape it a little bit differently. Now, there's definitely concerns here. If you were putting together a long list of potential sporting directors for us this summer, I'm not sure he'd have been in anyone's top 25. He's never worked outside of the Bundesliga. The fieriness can be both a positive and a negative because he falls out with people. But he does appear to have a friendship with Jürgen through mutual friends, and they have been together before. Uh, early in Jürgen's career, I think he had a trial at Fortuna Dusseldorf. Didn't really work out. Schmatke was a legendary goalkeeper there for a long time. So there is a long-term connection there. Whether or not it's been maintained up until more recent years, I don't know. Jürgen hasn't really ever commented on it. He has mentioned him in the past, um, largely because he thinks Schmatke thought he was a shit player, uh, which may have been the case. Who knows? <laughs> but you'd wonder if bringing in a firebrand like him, who might might stand up to Jürgen, could potentially be a good thing. But then he could also just be coming in as someone who's very grateful for Jürgen for getting him in this job. And maybe then he doesn't want to rock the boat, which wouldn't be of benefit to anybody. But he'll certainly make things interesting. Of that, there's no doubt. He's not afraid to criticise players. He's not afraid to criticise officials. Um, he got himself in trouble once for throwing chungum at, <laughs> at Julian Nagelsmann, which is quite a strange thing for, <laughs> for anyone to do, really, but especially a sporting director. But Look, if he comes in, all we can do is give him a chance and let's see how it works. He is known for one thing above all else. He does not like keeping aging players around past the point of their being useful. He does not like this idea of players being in the squad purely for intangible purposes. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's one area where he and Jürgen might clash a little bit. And there's one player in particular that I think we can all think of who might come under his ire because he's not one for fluff and bluster and false praise. So he will call it as he sees it. Look, he wouldn't have been anyone's first choice. And I don't even think he was Liverpool's first choice because by most reports, we spoke to Tim Steed then, who appears to have turned us down. Turned us down. So he would be one. Um, we also, according to reports, spoke to Marcus Croce, who's at Eintracht Frankfurt, and he kind of publicly turned us down. And who else? Who knows? 
But if he if he gets the job, we have to give him an opportunity and see how he does. And hopefully he does well. And hopefully his personality does rub off on Jürgen and maybe reignite something within Jürgen that might have dimmed over the last little while. And maybe they do bang heads in the right way. We'll just have to wait and see. I wouldn't imagine he'll have much involvement in terms of recruitment for this summer. He he will help in negotiations, but I'd imagine Fallows will probably handle a lot of those along with Mike Gordon. But I think from January is where he'll start to have more involvement. Now, maybe he arrives with a list of players that he's kept his eye on. Most good sporting directors will have a long list of players for every single position that are both for the current club that they're at or just players that they're keeping an eye on in general. So he'll likely arrive with a long list of names. And maybe somebody pops up who we haven't been expecting, who hasn't been linked, and maybe it'll have come from him. Um, In terms of his eye for defensive talent, he also tried to sign David Carmel from Braga, Long before he was linked to us, he was linked to Wolfsburg. So it does suggest he's got a really good eye for a central defender. Um, whether or not he'd be able to go back to Wolfsburg and get Maxence Lacroix, I don't know. Oftentimes when people like this leave clubs, there's an agree- especially when they've got time left on the contract, there is an agreement that, look, if you take another job, you can't come back for any of our players. So we'll see. We'll see how that works. Um this is Anfield have uh, a couple of pieces on Schmacke. There's a piece on Luis Diaz. There's a piece about Alexis McAllister. David Ornstein has reported today that there's not, it's not a release clause in his contract. It's more a negotiation clause, similar to what we had, I think, in Suarez's deal when Arsenal did the 40, plus, 40 million plus one quid type thing. Um, the ball was in play versus Brentford for the lowest ever amount of time in a Premier League game. The ball was in play for just 43 minutes and 10 seconds. That is, that's staggering. Absolutely staggering. And the one player that got booked for time-wasting was Alisson for taking 34 minutes, sorry, 34 minutes, 34 seconds on a goal kick. There were at least two on which David Rea took longer. And at least a couple of free kicks in which he took longer. So that was bizarre. Taylor had himself an absolute stinker. Um, on Liverpool.com, the lead piece is the Media Digest. Liverpool agrees 67 million transfer as verbal contract proposal given to Jurgen Klopp target. So apparently we're advancing on Alexis. I think we'd all be fairly thrilled with Alexis. Liverpool has agreement over summer transfer. Uh, this piece, I think, is also on Alexis. So the whole thing is basically about Alexis McAllister. Um, but a lot of it is coming from the spoofer with the catchphrase. So do just temper expectations. Liverpool should test Real Madrid transfer stance after Jude Bellingham decision made. This is suggesting that with Jude with Jude likely to go to Real, perhaps we should have a look at Chouameni again. And I would be absolutely in favour of that. 
Jurgen Klopp just unlocked secret new Liverpool midfielder after Roberto Firmino Coles. So I asked this on on Twitter at the weekend because Cody didn't have a great game in that role, but I thought there were certain things that he did really well. And my my question was, if we're looking for a Mason Mount, if, if he's the one we're looking at, what does he really do that Cody can't do in that role? And some people said he's better defensively. He's definitely not. He just isn't. When the game goes behind Mason Mount, he's no longer part of the game. Some people said he presses better. He doesn't. There is a misconception that sprinting faster means you're pressing better. Cody is a very smart presser. Bobby's the best presser we ever had, and he didn't do it at pace. He was a much better presser than, say, Henderson or Lalana, who ball chased aimlessly. Mount is more a ball chaser than a presser, so he would need more work there than Cody does. The thing that popped up, and I think it is the one thing Mount has over Cody, and I like Mount. I would be happy with Mason Mount, to be clear. But the thing that popped up was he's more dynamic. And that that is fair. He's quicker. He's got more of a burst. He's more dynamic. But I think Cody's a better passer of the ball. I think he's a better decision maker. And if we're asking that right-sided attacking midfielder, to overlap Mo and get wide and provide service, Cody's a better crosser than Mount as well. Mount is a very good crosser from a set piece, from a dead ball. But Cody in-game, one of his best attributes is actually crossing. And it's something we haven't really seen from him yet. But when he was a PSV, his crossing was absolutely sensational. So potentially... Cody could be an option in that role. Now, look, I think we all like Cody as the nine, but my 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 point was more, for me, I would almost rather if that right-sided eight was more of a defensive, ball-winning, box-to-box type player, like Manu Kone. So your starting 11 would have Ibu, Alison Ibu Virgil, new left-sided centre-back, Trent, new holding midfielder, Manu Kone plus, say, Alexis McAllister, and then Mo, Cody, and Diaz as the front three. But maybe against some of the lesser teams, you could leave Kone out, slide Cody back into that role, and play Darwin through the middle. So you get that attack-minded player in Cody for the games you want an attack-minded player. And in Kone, who costs significantly less than Mason Mount, it must be pointed out, you'd also get a defensive option there who can play the the six if needed. Could fill in for Trent as well if needed because he's played a couple of games in his career right back. So that might might just be a better use of our funds and a more balanced squad. But it was just a question, and I thought some of the answers were... Some of the answers were interesting, and some suggested people haven't watched enough of Mason Mount. Uh, Liverpool a step ahead on 50 million transfer target as talks begin, and two priority targets identified. So, uh, Liverpool are a step ahead for Goncalo Inacio, who I think is probably the first-choice target for that left-sided role. And I think would probably be mine as well. I think he's really, really good. Um, and then the two targets are Alexis and Mount, which, again, 
This is Romano just nicking information off the likes of Paul Joyce, who's reported on these names. It's not Romano knowing anything. Uh, he wouldn't have the foggiest idea of what we were doing. Uh, if if Jürgen told him himself, he still wouldn't know. Liverpool should monitor US men's national team prospect as transfer could unlock ideal future Jürgen Klopp star. Okay, so this is Noel Book. Um, I'll be honest, I, I haven't seen this kid play. I, I have no idea what kind of player he is. Uh, he's an 18-year-old centre midfielder for the New England Revolution. Yeah, I mean, look, potentially, potentially, we we do we do keep an eye on that US market. Uh, I'd certainly be in favour of signing someone like Tyler Adams if we wanted a, a US player. I think Tyler Adams as that right back who can step into midfield. Now, he's more of a midfielder who can also play right back, but. He he could be a a solid backup for Trent. Doesn't have a Trent's passing ability, but he's a better defensive player. Um, and if we've got Alexis and say Cody or Mount or whoever in that right sided role, Trent's creativity can be replicated by the others. We're, we I think we'll be a lot less reliant on Trent next year for our creativity. Uh, on to AnfieldIndex.com. A couple of pieces here. Klopp's confidence soars in pursuit of Liverpool targets. That was put together by the news team. Nunes' struggles continue, but hope lies ahead. Uh, Also put together there by the news team. Liverpool Eye Monaco's uh, Yusuf Fafana. I I think as a... This was also by the news team, by the way. I think as a fourth choice, like if if we were to bring in four... And he was the fourth. I think that would be good business. I do think that would be good business. I don't think he's starter quality for us. Because he can't play either of those eight roles. Maybe the right side of one if we wanted a defensive player there. Um, But he's not really a six. There's a piece here, Lessons Learned from Brentford, written by Dave Davis. Is there a place for Trent at the leadership table? Asks Stephen Smith. So check all of those out there. Podcast-wise, um, the game is over, but there was a rival recon. If you didn't get to hear that, there was a scouted. Dave Davis did the presser. And there's the two post-match shows. There is the Nina Kauser show, where she had Carolyn, Lisa Marie. And there was a Raw with myself, Trev, and Jim Boardman. So you can listen to those. Uh, that is largely uh, two paddies and a scouser ranting about the monarchy. So if you're a Royalist, maybe one just to miss, you know, catch up again uh, with us after Leicester. Um, We have just recorded part one of the Transfer Committee show, where we went through the entire squad and did keep, sell and loan. I think there will be some surprises for some people in the players we decided to sell, but we were pretty much unanimous on the ones we wanted to sell. So, you know, you can't actually blame me this time. But, uh, yeah, that's out. And remember, it is just for fun. It's just what we would do. It's not what we expect the club to do. It's what we would do. We will be doing a part two of that a little bit closer to the end of the season where we'll go through who we would like the club to bring in in the positions that need attention. 
so that's it. That's all I've got for today. Thank you as always. I will not be here tomorrow, but I will be back on Wednesday. So take care of yourselves. See you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.